I would always be in like a dance performance with our Buddhist group. Like, like <laughs> wait, wait, you have to explain quite a bit here. I Did know. you grow up Buddhist in Florida? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up Buddhist. In, so first, I grew up Buddhist in Florida. First, I got your voicemail, then I got you. We can meet in person or maybe on Zoom. So tell me what your genre, tell me what do you do? I'd like to know the things that specifically make you Hey, I'm Tim Barnes. You are the genre. And in each episode, I ask cool people about the first genres that inspired them, the first crafts they pursued, and how they feel about those pursuits now. Comedian, writer, and actress Millie Tamarez joins me this time around. She's written for ABC's The Celebrity Dating Game, Jason Biggs' Cash at Your Door on E!, WWE's Friday Night Smackdown, NPR's weekly news quiz show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and co-hosts the Go Touch Grass podcast with Elise Morales. Millie is also one of the creators and producers of Flex, that's with two X's, which is a satire magazine for people of color, and the diverse as f- festival, a festival that highlights diversity in comedy. I was excited to talk to her because when I first moved to New York, she was one of the first comics I met on the scene who was always working on something new and exciting, but also was very in tune with her voice. You know, with comics like me, people will say something like, oh, he's a good writer. But with comics like Millie, they'll add the word performer into the mix. How did she reach this point? It's all explained with many twists and turns in this conversation. Oh, and I think some construction was going on around my apartment, so in the last 10 minutes or so, you might hear the low hum of the city behind me. I don't know why those construction workers keep ignoring my recording and progress sign. Always great catching up with you, Millie. Yeah. If I think of people who I know, who I can say with confidence, are it's their own mess. genre. No, no. <laughs> It's a hot mess. <laughs> well, the poster guess... child for adult women with ADHD. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, uh, being a owning, I, I'm not saying I don't think you're a hot mess, but I think the type of person who will openly describe themselves as a hot mess is someone who is their own genre. And Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you're. Uh, I, I feel like you're. You're like the broader description of you is comedian, but within that description, you do multiple things. You're a humor writer. You do character work, uh, famously as Steve Harvey oh <laughs> at some God, live yes. shows. <laughs> I just want to say that the Steve Harvey shit is now like a viral meme. Everybody's <laughs> doing it. They have Steve Harvey meetups. People are dressing up in lingerie as Steve Harvey, and. I want your readers, Yub Nub, which we can unpack what the f*** that is later, uh, your readers, your listeners, to know, I did it first. Okay. I did it first. <laughs> what you just said is actually a great promotion. Like, the, the, my name and what we're talking in right now shows up as Yub Nub, because that's the name of uh, another podcast that I co-host with some friends about Star Wars. And so oh that's my a God. Star Wars reference. So what um, is the Star Wars reference? Do you know that I, t- have I told you about this journey I've taken into the Star Wars lore? No, I'm excited to hear this. But the, but the reference is Yubnub is what uh, the Ewoks say. They say Yubnub a lot. And in the original wow, uh, ending of Return of the Jedi, they sing a song in which they repeat Yubnub over and over again. But what, what, what caused your deep dive into Star Wars? So two things, right? The only thing that I've consumed 
before 2022, I think, winter 2022, so like a year ago, the only thing that I've ever consumed from Star Wars is my dad would get all of our like media that we would watch from the dollar store. So two animated series that I watched consistently, I think I told you this, was the Ewok animated, the oh animated series oh based God. like Ewoks, <laughs> like, and then also the Potato Head Kids wow. animated series about all the kids of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Heads and all their shenanigans. So you just grew up with weird spinoff material. Yeah, there, there was a sketch um. <laughs> well, I was in a sketch team and one of my writer, like the writers, because I was the actor in it and it was like a date, like this girl's on a date. It's like, I love movies. And it's like, have you ever seen The Matrix? And it's like, you mean Johnny Mnemonic? It's like, have you ever seen like, it's like all the, all, all the, the like weird versions of yeah, the things. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's like, oh, I love Disney. It's like, me too. And um, Ewok animated series. So, and then, you know me, like the way to get me is to get a Latino, a hot Latino heartthrob to be. Uh, so I was like, what is and what is Oh Andor? my goodness. So you started with one of the greatest Star Wars I shows know. of all time. I know. I was like, what's Andor? Then I start watching and I'm like, okay, this is good. But the stakes are really high and I have no understanding. Like, I want to <laughs> understand the stakes. So I watched every single Star Wars thing in chronological order. Whoa. Uh, Except Clone Wars. I just couldn't. But I did Rebels. We have to bring you as a guest on Yub Nub then. Yeah, because I I listened to... Well, the thing is, I would watch an episode and then put on Children of the Watch Uh podcast. I love that show. Because they get do deep dives. I really love those guys. And like... I, I published my Spotify rap for music because it's really, it's very cool Brooklyn alt girl like music, but uh. podcasts were very embarrassing and I did not share <laughs> that I was one of the top listeners of this Star Wars podcast because I fall asleep listening to it. Uh, it's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It is embarrassing when it's like, what do you, what do you listen to? What, what kind of podcast you listen to? And it's all like monotone white guys talking about media. That that's... Well, These guys are good. One of They're them good. is a teacher. Yeah. Uh-huh. Children of the Watch, one of the guys is a teacher, and then they get a lot of listener calls like about theories and stuff, and they'll have a lot of kids. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like, wow, that was so great. Thank you so – the guys are just very positive. So they try to err on the positive side. They're like not, not like d- – they're not what you think of like depressed losers who hate whatever. But then <laughs> when they start talking about Star Wars music, they're like, I love Star Wars music. I'm like, okay. Need to get off this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love this uh, this aspect of your personality, and to to figure out how like this show is all about charting how you became someone who's so in tune with yourself. Like yeah. it feels like any project you do will be a Millie Tamara's project. And I saw like I read a version of one of your scripts, and it's like your voice sh- uh, shown through that so well. Everything that you do, it's like so you, but. What was the first genre that called your attention? Oh, man, I guess like, I mean, I was telling someone like, you ever have that piece of media when you were a kid that you had to watch every single day? And (laughs) if you didn't watch it. So there's this like video of me when I was a three or four year old kid who like there's like a home movie. Like somebody had a camcorder and was like, I also am one of six kids. Uh So and I'm number five of six. So I think one of my older siblings, like, 
<laughs> was like going through the house because it, it's like there's a million different scenes. You know, you got to like <laughs> POV of somebody going through a house with six children. Like, yeah. like in 90s Florida, there's going to be something happening. And then there's one where like I'm having a tantrum. I'm like... <gasps> crying i'm like play it again play it again and like i'm like having a tantrum and then they press play and it's a live action popeye oh wow wow <laughs> and that is like that is a good emphasis of the kind of weird <laughs> from day one that i was all yeah. about and that ties um, into the Ewok thing in a weird way, I think, too, because this is like it's Robin Williams being a, a real life, but still having like all these prosthetics on. So he literally yeah. looks like this cartoon character. I know. So, and I loved it. It was a great soundtrack. But um, and I always loved comedy. Mm. Like I would always watch Comedy Central. I watch like. The, the blue collar comedy tour like with oh, jeff yeah. foxworthy yeah. and ron white I, I loved ron white and jeff foxworthy mm-hmm. i loved um just any stand-up specials i could get my hands on i remember me and my little brother we would watch coming to america it's like one of my favorite movies and there's like a scene where <laughs> eddie murphy like doesn't know how to hail a cab so he stands in front of a cab and he's like oh <laughs> to like stop and then the guy gets out like you dumb (laughs) me and my little brother would just replay that over and over again and just say like you dumb like (laughs) so that is that is the the first exploration of amelia as a genre what do you think it was about the popeye movie though that made you want to watch that one in particular over and over again i don't know i feel like the music was good the costuming it was like very fantastical and it was also like it it was filmed in malta um famously and like just the clear blue waters and the sea and i don't know like i just thought it was cool but like now it's like i can look back and be like oh yeah it's very like fantastical and it goes all in and like everyone's like in the bit you know i just love movies where it's like People have to take on a new responsibility and they they grow into those roles like three men and a baby or like that movie with Kate Hudson where her sister dies and then she has to like watch her three, you know, nieces, anything like that. Like, <laughs> it's just fun. You know, it's like fun to see like people grow as characters, you know, and that's what happens is like Popeye's kind of a scammer or like he's like kind of a nomad, whatever, and Olive and they like b- built this like weird family. It's interesting because like so many of the, the things that you talk about exciting you in your childhood are like these moments where like you're with your siblings watching TV or, or a movie or something, which feels like nostalgic coming from you. But Popeye itself is like Robin Williams engaging in his own nostalgia. Like he really loved this cartoon growing up and now he finally gets to finally gets to be the guy. Yeah, and the thing um is the the like weird metaphysical tie is that me and Robin Williams have the same birthday. <laughs> July twenty first. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so there's some weird connection there, yeah. Do you fully engage with your nostalgia? I mean, is all your nostalgia connected to weird stuff like this? Or like are there movies coming out where it's like, oh, finally the live action version of this or do you fall into those traps? I don't know. I feel like I enjoy a lot of drama. 
The thing is, you know what I like, actually? I like just getting lost in something. You know, so just like Star Wars and like the lore and the world, like I watched every Marvel thing. Like I like getting lost in things deeply. And like I just finished like last night a Canadian (laughs) um, show (laughs) based on Anne of Green Gables. (laughs) It's a coming of age show, but it's like a period piece, but it's interesting and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm having fun. Like those are fun to me. I don't know. Like, yeah. Cause there's something like when you, when you watch one of those things, you know, about this character's grandparents sometimes depending on like what you're reading or watching, like in the Lord of the Rings, those type things. And so then when someone just makes like a, a weird look at someone, it has so many layers of meaning. Sometimes, oh, that his grandpa made that same look to this person. And now, now he's doing- yeah. I mean, that's what's fun about Gilded Age is like actually the plots and the stuff is like, it's f- bonkers and it's insane and like it goes in such weird places but it's fun to listen to the companion that's what i like like when i watch something or when i engage in something i like to know everything about it i like to read all the pieces and what's fun with the show like gilded age or even anne of green gables it's like these are period pieces but then the cool thing about gilded age is that they have a companion podcast with historians hosting it and the historians are like this storyline is actually based on these things that happened these crazy things that you're like why the did the story go this way like these guys actually did kill themselves because they lost a bunch of money or like this happened or this and that and like or these are real arguments that you know whatever so i think with anne of green gables it was interesting because i always had this like view you know we always view canadians as like they're the nicer americans and like american history is so violent and and Canadian history is like, like Canada has this, like they're much more friendlier and they have healthcare and all this. Shit. But like the last season of this show, I mean, well, when a black guy moves into this white town and like the whole town is like fucked up to him, but also the last season of this show that gets into the residential schools that they've sent the native American children into. And it was just like good to, Oh, like, Holy Canada sucks. Like all this stuff. I mean, and that's what's happening now too, which is what I'm enjoying with newer period pieces is that like, I think before when white people were making they can like have this air of nostalgia and look and like, just talk about like all the cool or, you know, Oh, this putting her out in society and debutante ball and women must be married. But now what I'm seeing with newer period pieces is that like, they will address and have storylines about black people, Native American, like acknowledge that there's other going on. It's not just about white people yeah, yeah. and that it's not all hunky dory and all, you know? So that's what I'm also enjoying too. Like, um, I don't know if that answered the question you asked. No, I think so. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the, the first genre that drew you in was through, uh, the Popeye movie world building stories where you can feel like you, you're escaping and, mm-hmm. and, char- and actors and characters are going all in on it. Mm-hmm. What was the first official craft that you pursued? Oh, man. I mean, there's a lot. Like, you know, I'm Buddhist. And our Buddhist group, we would have, like, dance. I would always be in, like, a dance performance with our Buddhist group. Like, like <laughs> Wait, wait. You have to explain quite a bit here. I you, know. Did you grow up Buddhist in Florida? Yes. 
Interesting. <laughs> I grew up Buddhist. In, so first, I grew up Buddhist in Florida. Second of all, we had different performance groups. Uh-huh. So we'd have like whatever. And then I grew up Buddhist in Florida performing dance for these bigger meetings. And so, I, yeah, I know. Okay. I'm sure you've. I'm sure you've explained all this in on stage, really have, in interviews. Your parents are Buddhist. Not. My parents are Buddhist. Yeah. They, so they, my parents they, yeah. started in um, right like a little bit before I was born practicing Buddhism. Okay. Yeah, I mean, my parents are pretty like progressive, and my dad found Buddhism first, and it it was like this wave in the '80s in New York. Like there was this connection with black and brown neighborhoods, and like. Eastern culture and all this stuff and like that Kung Fu, like rave and all this stuff. And my dad was always into Eastern stuff. And then he had this friend who introduced him to Buddhism and he really took to it and really liked like the Eastern philosophy of like karma and like cause and effect and all that. And, and he really took to it. And my mom took to it too, like after a while, cause it is, you're like, what the what is a Dominican person doing like practicing <laughs> Buddhism? But like, you know, my parents met in New York, actually. Uh. Like they weren't they weren't together in DR and then came like, no, they were both like teens and in their early 20s, like in New York City, hustling, like working in sweatshops and doing all kinds of shit. And like, you know, Catholicism, they didn't really respond to it. Like mm. my mom really rejected it because whatever. So to find this like philosophy that's like, very empowering and and it's all about karma and like if you're a good person good thing you know they really took to it and like raised us that way well that's fascinating i mean how did that play out in your day-to-day life did that make you feel separate in a way from your peers i i when i think of florida i don't i don't imagine yeah. buddhist is, is what i'm getting at. yeah <laughs> like so it was really interesting because in school like of course i was left out because you know, and it was always like church was like this community that people would go to. And like, I would have a crush. I would just remember in middle school, like <laughs> I have a crush on this guy and, um, you know, your friends like, oh yeah, you know, Jonathan on Sunday, he was praying so hard at church. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I missed it or something. Cause like I'm missing all the tea because I'm Buddha, you know, but like, I think in a way, I mean, I haven't watched it. Um, you're so not coming to my bar mitzvah, but in like what I imagine like the appeal to that and like what I've heard is that like it kind of describes like the divide between like Hebrew school and like your regular school and like mm-hmm. the people who are popular and sexy in Hebrew school and it's something like that where it's like I had my Buddhist friends that were from all over South Florida and uh-huh. we would congregate every other weekend in this center and like we'd have our own little gossip and crushes and <laughs> dating each other and all this stuff and like there are people who like I grew up with like you know what I mean and like yeah. have that community and it was separate than the community that like I went to school with and stuff and you know and I would tell people I'm Buddhist in high school and they're like <laughs> <laughs> you worship booties or something? Oh my god! Wow, I love you know, all those like those stupid easy jokes that people make about religions. You know, it's just yes, yeah. that is like one hundred percent. And I look back and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I was teased for being Buddhist. They're so intolerant. They're so whatever. But yeah. then, um, literally, like on Sunday, I had I went to my Buddhist center, and sometimes because it's Japanese Buddhism, they'll stream like bits and pieces of a lecture. And they're like, this one person who is like, 
guy who studies Buddhism, who's like a PhD in Buddhism, but they called it a, a bootyologist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like B-U-D-D-L-O. Wow. <laughs> a bootyologist. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and like, you know, he's saying really interesting, deep, like, you know, metaphysical stuff. Uh-huh. But I saw booty off. <laughs> me and like three people in the in the thing were like. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe those well, kids had a point. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I think about uh, Buddhism, and like especially, I, I, I guess I, I just realized that I don't think often about like Buddhist youth. Like when people talk about their Catholic youth groups or mm-hmm. their uh, evangelical youth groups, their Jewish. Uh, Hasidic Jewish youth groups or whatever, I understand what those frictions are with your parents, with your peers, personally, as the real world kind of interjects with your religion. But with Buddhism, I imagine there's no rebellion phase, <laughs> really. Like, is there? Did you Yeah, have there is, like, you know... Um... That's the thing, too, is that, like, in Buddhism, they'll call, like, if you were born into Buddhism, you'll be called a fortune baby. Like, Mm. you know, like, you were born in the practice and stuff. And then because the nature of Buddhism, especially in America, is that you'll really encounter a lot of people who found it in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s. Mm. And they've been able to, like, compare Buddhism to what they grew up as. And, like, they already have their core values and they found something that has aligned with them. And they have a much deeper relationship with it versus somebody whose mom made them go to the set, you know, every weekend or every other weekend. And they're like you mom you don't you know you're still gonna have that like rebellion and stuff and some people make their way back into it you know organically so I brought up like my high school and all that because my college was actually the opposite I actually did go to a college that was Buddhist related like it's not secular you know what I mean or it's not like actually like you have to study Buddhism, whatever, but it has like affiliations with my Buddhist organization and definitely roots and there's overlap and all that stuff. And, you know, the Buddhist organization I belong to is called the Soka Gakkai and I went to Soka University. So again, it's like, you know what I mean? So it was like a flip of like the majority of people (laughs) actually knew Buddhism and all this stuff. And then there has had to be this thing of like, you know, it's a really interesting study of like what happens when the minority becomes a majority, whatever. Anyway, yeah. but I still know people whose family's very religious and they're very Buddhist and they kind of push their kids to take this more like Buddhist pious path mm. and they've completely rebelled and they've never come back, you know? And then there's people who like find it on their own way. And like what I see too is like a lot of people have to like develop their practice on their own. It's like, oh yeah, I grew up practicing. But like when I moved out of my mom's house or when I went to college or what is Mm. this and that, like I encountered my own, you know, you got to like find it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Wow. Like I think there's this thing with Catholicism or whatever where people went to Catholic school, did their communion, all this And they kind of look weird at somebody who converts in their adulthood, like, because there's this whole, like, turn to Catholicism, like, Mm. as adults, and you're like, what the f*** are you doing? Or you'll never fully be, I mean, that's kind of the, a big plot in The Mandalorian season three. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So it's like, um, it's like, uh, this is my culture. You're like, whatever. And you're, but I would say it's kind of, sometimes can be the opposite in Buddhism, where it's like, 
or actually, you know what? Like actually in the way that Dan has a more pure connection to the roots of like what it means to be a Mandalorian because he grew up without it and was except whatever. Mm. Like it's the same thing with Buddhism where it's like, yeah, people, sometimes people have a pure relationship that's not marred by their family. This has been the most fascinating tangent I've ever been on in any I know. conversation. Not what your podcast is about. <laughs> no, no. I, I, th- I think there are ways to connect it, especially like when you brought up how you grew up with this concept of karma and cause and effect. I noticed oh, yeah. that just in how you, you talk and we were in a, a situation where we were like working together on something and the way that you present ideas, I can tell that you're always thinking about that balance of things. Like, And you know how to put characters on a, on a soap opera map. And say, like, yeah. if this person says this to that person, then the- <laughs> I know. And like, it's been a really devastating part of my mental health journey that <laughs> life isn't as black and white and as, car- you know what I mean? It's been like, like, literally every other week with my therapist, I'm like, no, but if somebody's bad, if somebody's good, good things will happen to them. And if someone's bad, good things will not happen to them. And it's just like, uh, <laughs> that is a part of my thing. Yeah. Um, but you, you were talking about the first craft that you pursued. And I believe this was connected to. Yeah. Dancing. So it's like dance. And then I did like baton twirling, karate and all this, shit, like all those things. But in high school. And in college, have you seen the movie Rushmore? Yes. Um, with yeah. Jason Schwartzman. Where was like, yeah, but basically, like, my takeaway is, like, I'm 100% Jason Schwartzman. Like, in the movie, he's in every single club, but is failing all his classes. <laughs> and that is me. <laughs> you just want to be a I part would, of everything. Yeah, I want to be, which is, like, I mean, truly, like, New York's the best place for someone yeah. like me. But it's like, yeah, like I did photography, I did video editing. I had like, you know, my parents bought me a little camera when I was like nine years old. And I made, I wish like, I feel like preserve, preservation is like something of the privilege. Like maybe in like 20 years, I'll write a, a deep think piece or an essay about it. But like, because there are so much kids and so much chaos, like none of my projects or none of my things that I was working on or even my home videos or sometimes even pictures, like do we don't have, like, I don't know mm. what happened to them, whatever, but like I would make videos with my brother, like, and then, you know, cause there's like these little cameras that you can connect to your computer and then edit them and then oh, it would have yeah. special effects. Yeah. So I, I had one of those. Like yeah. aliens, <laughs> like alien oh invasion and all this stuff. And I'm like, I wish I could watch, like, was your I camera could... purple? I'm just wondering if you had the same camera. It was blue. Yeah. Okay, it was yeah. blue and it was like, yeah. Yeah. It oh my was goodness. Fun. I think we had the same thing. Yeah. The same camera. I don't even remember what I made with. Yeah. I made a bunch of shit. Yeah. So I was like, I wish I had those. But yeah, I always was doing creative stuff. But like, I did not think I was going to enter a creative field until it was too late. (laughs) Okay. So so while while you were doing all these things and all these different high school clubs and stuff, baton twirling, dance, all these different clubs, 
Was there? I was also in swim track. In, in swim, okay. I was everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So what, what? Like when you said well, your idea of college, what was your pursuit then? Like what? What was your the thing? So my college was like again. It was like this not Buddhist, Buddhist, but not Buddhist college where it's like we're gonna change the world and make the world a better place. And like our motto is like kind of we would always say is like. The mission statement is like Sokyo University is uh, fosters global citizens dedicated to living a contributive life mm. for the betterment of humanity or something like that. And so like the way that that would show up for a lot of people. And I just knew that like I had such a privilege to go to college. Like I had siblings who, you know, studied or like my sister went to medical school in Dominican Republic. But like I was the first to go to like school in America, like. Hmm. to call it like a four-year university and of my friends too i was like one of the fir- like w- only ones to go to like four-year college like away and have that like college experience it's not like all my you know they were doing like community college or whatever so i was like well i can't really waste my opportunity on this artistic pursuit so i really wanted to be a lawyer for a long time and i took my lsats and everything and like uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was hard, and but you know, again, the whole time I was in Indian dance group, I was in Japanese taiko drums, I was in a Hawaiian dance thing. You just had your parents driving you around. Oh, th- this was in college, so I was walking everywhere. In college, college. Um, yeah, yeah. I would make funny videos with my friends. Me and my friends have all these like funny music videos. Um, <laughs> that we would make for people's birthdays. I made like comics when I, you know, like little hand-drawn comics. Mm-hmm. I did like vagina monologues. Like I was always doing creative things, but I just felt like it was selfish to do, or like there's a high rate of failure or all that stuff or yeah. basically everything that I'm living now, which is like, I'm extremely <laughs> broke and my thing I was mean, unstable. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to avoid, uh, but you know, um, one of my stand-up jokes is about destiny and fate, um, you know, because my mom, like, my mom's like, oh, she wants credit because she took us out of, you know, we were raised in New York, but she moved us to Florida. Mm-hmm. And isn't it so great that, like, we're, we had a normal childhood in Florida. <laughs> and, you know, I was just like, you know. She moved us to Florida, but she still made us take the city bus. And you got to think about all the weirdos that take the city bus. And the first time I ever saw a scrotum or balls was on the city bus. And it's like, you know, it's like my mom doesn't know the tale of Oedipus. Like I was born and my destiny was to see balls on the city bus. (laughs) And, you know, moving me out, you can't avoid destiny, you know? And no matter how much you fight it and stuff, you're still going to see balls on the city bus. Wow. And that's how I feel. That's that's what happens when... a Dominican family from Brooklyn uh, <laughs> converts right. to Buddhism. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, God. That's a whole other thing, too, which my mom's like lectures and guilt trips are so crazy deep because she's like, you know, I just want to tell you something. When you don't wash your dishes, your daughter is not washing her dishes in the future. And, wow. you know, we're karmically tied. And wow. maybe you were my, oh my-, my mother. <laughs> and maybe I gave you a hard time in your past life. And that's why you're doing this to me. And I'm like, oh, my God. I will wash the dish. Shut up. Like, 
<laughs> well, it's interesting, like this idea of privilege, because the Buddha was this privileged person yes. who saw uh, uh, suffering. Tra- suffering and, you know, wanted to figure out what what's the deal with that. And I think I have, like, I was a pretty sheltered kid as well. So that part of the Buddha's story I identify with, like, just, you know, my parents sheltered me from all this stuff, but I can see it outside the window and I can't help but try and figure out. Like, yeah, figure or out. like, why is it and how can I make it better for other people? Yeah. Don't scroll away. You Are the Genre will be right back after the break. You Are the Genre is currently an independently produced podcast, which is my way of saying I haven't figured out how to get actual ads in here just yet. Instead, I'll mostly use this space to promote stuff that I like, and I really loved watching the HBO documentary Going to Mars, The Nikki Giovanni Project. You know who else has a fascination with Mars? Me! I have an animated web series through Comedy Central called Maurice on Mars about a struggling black artist on the first Martian colony. If you like this podcast and want to keep up to date on other projects I'm working on, subscribe to the newsletter or just leave a nice review wherever you're listening. And if you select a paid subscription to the newsletter, you get to listen to new episodes a week ahead of everyone else, plus other goodies. Get more information on everything at youarethegenre.com. Now, back to the episode. Where were we? So you wanted to be a lawyer. I remember I was talking I to Fazia Mirza years ago. I think she was a lawyer. And there is a connection between being a lawyer and being a stand-up comedian, I, I think, because you're presenting a case. I feel like um, when you study, law, like when you take the LSATs, which are is the test to get into law school, there's a lot of like, there's these things called logic games. And you're supposed to read a paragraph and quickly like decide like what kind of problem it is and it just reminds me a lot of there's a lot of ties with like improv Mm. of like you're supposed to read carefully and like in between the lines and how the things are presented and then make a deduction and then be like oh this is the direction we're going in like that kind of thing yeah there is a tie there and like really analytical thinking and also like yeah i mean you know now i come to the realization that like Practicing law is not the only way. And like sometimes it can be more impactful to make or, you know, not like Olympics or whatever, but like in many ways it is impactful to make a piece of culture, that mission of wanting to help society and all that stuff. Like that is at the core of like the things that I create and do. And like I've seen proof of like how culture and media and stuff has shifted society into a better way and a better point of view. And it's not just like, if you're not a DA at, you know, whatever, like you're not contributing. It's like, no, like I've heard people's mind changes, like from things that they've, I mean, I just told you about, like, I didn't know that the, the reality of like, what it was like those residential schools that they would send native American children with until I Mm. saw this stupid coming of age Netflix show. And there was like a native American character who like, you know, she ran away and her parents took custody of her. And then the Canadian government's like, actually, because you're native, like you're, you're a savage and you're Indian. Like we have custody over all Indian children and we know more Mm. than the parents do. And they like took the daughter back, you know? So it's like, yeah, that was culture. Like not like some lawyer. I mean, you need it all, right? You need the lawyer that's going to tell you like, and sue the Canadian government for reparations. And Mm. you need like, the piece of media that's contextualizing and like giving it stakes and like helping you empathize with this character that died 250 years before you were born. Yeah. (laughs) And and thinking about lawyers karmically, is there something here? (laughs) 
yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> finish your finish your thought. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Where because they're you know a lawyer can have a case on either side of an issue, and they have to figure out how to best help their client, even if they disagree with that client. There's some yeah. there's some very interesting like social science happening in in uh, courtrooms in that regard. Yeah, my friend, my really good friend that went to college with me actually is a DA in um like the Syracuse County, like because she went to Syracuse Law, and um she's she got a job as a like an assistant to the DA, like a, whatever, as a prosecutor, and people are like, "Oh, you're working for the man," and like you know, is that ethical? Like, what the f- you know? Don't don't you want to be like a criminal defense, like, and help people stay out of? Dr-? She's like, actually, like I have a lot of power in deciding which ones even go to trial. Yeah, like yeah. I can throw out all, half of these cases or all these cases and be like, this isn't even worth our time, and like that's a lot of power too. And I'm like, yeah, that's true, you know. Yeah. But she's like, you know, she also works in domestic violence, so. She rarely, <laughs> you don't want to be throwing out those cases. So. That's a good way to frame like, you know, what you can do when you get into a creative space as well. Because I think um, like when you're a part of a machine, I feel like I know what my role is. My role often in my life has been to be the starter black <laughs> in a, in oh, a room. Yeah. And so my job is to be so good at this job that they feel that much more comfortable hiring another black person. Into, into whatever Isn't it is. Isn't that so unfair and shit, though? This is the shit that gets me, though. This is the shit that, this is the shit that I tell my therapist. It's like, but why can't they just... Why do they need a starter black? Like, what, you know, whatever. But yeah, no, yeah, but that's I, 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 like, real. I know, and I feel that, and I like I, I try to take ownership. Like, I just... That, that gives me momentum and purpose, I feel, in a lot of situations I've been in. And even comedically... Older comedians, older comedians of color, you know that how they've played those roles and have brought in a lot of opportunity for other people. And I can sometimes, tell that. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes they like to be the only ones in the room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that and is. And that's a whole other f-ing thing. That's another thing. And I think everyone has to combat that feeling when it pops up in, in themselves. Yeah. But you, in, in the way that you've pursued comedy and co-creating the humor site Flex and things like that, like you've yeah. been very purposeful about creating these spaces for comedians of color to get a leg up. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. It, you know, again, it's that noble mission that like, again, it, it just is, so, it just was so hard and is so hard and it was so hard for me. And I really had took on this noble mission earlier in my career to make it easy for other people mm. and to like make sure that other people don't have to go through the obstacles and the hoops that I've gone through to, to follow their dreams. I think that something that I learned is that a lot of times those things came at the detriment of my dream, not in oh, the yeah. detriment uh, at the cost. Uh-huh. And I was too, and I wasn't taking care of myself and I wasn't investing in my own dreams or my own skills or my own things. And that was a hard lesson that I had to learn too. I mean, flex is a great example of like, I did like a lot of I would make sure the thing was running and happening uh-huh. and moving and oversaw it and used my connections to elevate other people on the site. But 
I wasn't writing. It just hit me. I'm like, I'm not writing any article. So then when people are like, oh, what's your article? Like, I was like, oh, shit. Or I w- we would have pitch meetings and I would literally say pitches and assign my pitches to other people. And then those would go viral because I would share it. And then those people would get opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And then those people. But like, it just was never coming back to me. Or I would always forward every packet I got to everybody. And like, you know, and then like, I had to be like, wait, hold on, Millie. Like, you know, that was a hard lesson too of like, when I started focusing on myself, I started seeing that I had created, it was kind of too late because I had created the conditions for, for them not understanding that they also had to be there, take care, cultivate and foster for me. Hmm. So like, one time when I started creating and doing things myself, you know, my policy and the way that I edited it was like, I would always take a pass on everyone's thing and like, see what they're trying to achieve and see if there was a cleaner, whatever way. Hmm. And I sent something to the group to be edited and they didn't look at it for three weeks, you know? And a lot of it was like, I created this space for people of color (laughs) And it was very sexist. (laughs) 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 And then I I entered another, and then in other, like, later relationships, I would enter, like, a a girl bossy, all-female kind of Uh situation. And they were racist. So I was like... <laughs> You're just trying to create your your open Popeyes universe. Where I know, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know that wasn't. I know you just wanted me to be like, yeah, I created Flex because I love people of color, <laughs> no, and it was no. a great experience. And I'm like, this was everything that was no. bad with this. <laughs> no, I love that because one of the things I wanted to try and get at because earlier you were talking about how you've done like video editing and all this other stuff, and one of my frustrations. Uh, for a long time was that I didn't have a clear sense of the one big thing that I was doing. And I felt like others didn't have a clear sense of that as well, especially when I was working in media, but not necessarily on like, I'm writing comedy for this media. I was like a podcast producer for a long time. And I was doing all these weird sort of behind the scenes. It's still in media, still exciting. And when that wouldn't give me enough time to go out at night to do stand up, so I'm not as much a part of the scene as I'd want to be. I would get very frustrated, but I understand how like how much work goes into just running a website and all that all that kind of stuff. But are there parallels to that in your life, or how did you? you it sounds like you you started to describe how you got out of that, but have you had that? And what was the base of that sort of frustration for you? Because I feel like for me, the key recently is figuring out that I am the glue that connects all the things, and really taking pride in that. Yeah, I think that the thing is like. And I think for, I think that's a lot of like resentment too. It's like for some people, it's enough for them to, you know, honestly, straight white men, like it's enough for them to be like moderately talented. And I also noticed this too of like these like mediocre white guys doing comedy, they'll get a producer to help them produce their shows immediately. Like I've never heard of these guys, but I go to the, they ask me to do a show. I'll show up. And then they're like, this girl's like, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm the producer. <laughs> and then like, you realize that Sarah has been doing all the emailing and these oh, yeah. guys just get to show up and do their comedy and leave. And I'm like, well, I f-ing wish I have to do that, but you, I have to, for me to do a show, I have to write the show, do the show, 
send emails flyer, to everyone I know, <laughs> make the flyer, or pay someone $100 to make the flyer, do this, do that. I remember me and Elise, a year or two ago, we wanted to do a regular, like, live, kind of a little bit political-leaning live comedy show and we wanted a producer because we knew that the show was going to take a lot of work to actually do and we reached out to like five or six people and they're all like no and then later i'm seeing those same producers working with like the most extra strength boring white and i'm just like (laughs) okay whatever dog but so it's like it's yeah it's it's super frustrating because it just feels like you have to do it all when people like talk to me about like I'm like, oh, yeah, I do stand up or I'm a comedian. They're like, oh, my God, that's so hard. And I'm like, what? And they're like getting up on stage. And I'm like, that's the fun part. Like right now I'm in this place in my career where like for me to have gone on stage, I've had to like or even I was I did this show one time. I produced it and and I was on it after the show. Someone's like, that must be so hard. You getting on stage and talking about how you took a pregnancy test. And I'm like, that was whatever for me to have come on the show i've had to email everybody get all their tech run the tech Hmm. reach out to the venue have a sound check send a flyer make a flyer this and that like it takes away from the actual craft building but it's just not gonna get and i feel but like my kind of saving grace too is that i've worked with a lot of people the other people in my life who like I would kind of resent because I was doing all the work Mm. and they just got to show up. And like, even for improv thing, like they got to show up and just pay the money whenever they felt like it. I had to front the money. I had to get the coach. I had to get the space. I had to put it on my, my car. I didn't even have a credit card. I had to put it and they just got to show up or like, um, the people who like whenever edit or this and that, like what I found is that those type of people, like the me's in the group and the, you know, the people who are like doing all the, those are the people who stay in it and like continue to create and do things and don't give up because we've had to do so much, you know, whereas like other people that I knew, like who weren't doing any of the producing or the logistics or kind of relied on someone else to do it. And they just wanted to get there and show up and be funny. Like, I'm not going to say none of them have ever achieved anything, but it's not a, they're not doing it as frequently as fruitfully or as organ you know as the other people because they've gotten used to being at the whims of everyone else and the, the reality is that i feel like as somebody who's taught stand up and taught that like everyone can be funny like anyone can be talented like talent is not the only thing it's like work ethic hmm. and attitude and like how many people can can you tim confidently recommend for a job that's gonna yeah. make you look good like not somebody who's funny uh, not somebody who who's just funny the, yeah the work who knows how to yeah. do it but yeah. has a good attitude yeah, and yeah. a positive thing and it's gonna make work better like there's not a lot of people like that so while i resent and have like where have to work through my feelings of like fuck these people who like don't do are constantly moving up in the world i feel like there's not a lot of people who, who fill all those boxes. And I feel like, yeah, they're, they're at the whims of everyone else. Well, well, a through line, uh, just to kind of bring things on home here is, um, <laughs> it seems like the, the Millie that you described in high school, who's in every club in college, who's in every club 
is also the Millie who right now does comedy, but does it in all these different forms. Um, yeah. Does that, have you found a, a happy balance between all that? Is there any frustration that Millie isn't just stand-up comedian Millie? She's also podcaster Millie. She's also character Millie. Yeah, that's like a tough thing because I do feel like I'm not like really, f- like I just, I have like a, a an okay command on everything and I'm not excelling <laughs> at everything. But also when somebody's like, what's your ideal career? Like, and this is, you know, what I would tell my old manager, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, I would love to do, you know, like go to big cities and do stand up and have shows there and stuff. But like, I'm not trying to be like a road comic, like, and do that, like, which is like, that's kind of what, you know, and, and also like the idea of doing like five stand up shows a night or like hanging out at the cellar until I get past, like, but also like the idea of sitting in my, like not performing for a year and sitting in my apartment and writing five really great pilots. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't excite me. I mean, I want to write good pilots and I want to write on TV and all that stuff. And I have, but I guess I've just made it, you know, and it's hard because it's like, I've gotten the advice of like, you need to focus on one thing so you can break in efficiently. Hmm. You have to break in. But then also like when you're, you know, like right now because of the pod, you know, the podcast launch and everything, I've been focusing on podcasting, but like, yeah, it's just like, when someone asks me a career, like, I don't know if you have somebody that is like, what's your ideal career? Like for me, I'm like, I love Michelle Buteau's career. She's <laughs> she's doing stand-up, she's acting, she's writing, you know, she's doing it all. And that that is a career that excites me. It's like, that is the point, or that is, yeah. Like, so it's like, I don't feel like I'm, it is frustrating. I feel like people can understand me better and wrap their heads around me better if I picked one thing and just did that for like a year and did nothing else. Like if I didn't write anymore and I didn't do any like podcasts and I just worked on stand up and I just posted clips of my stand up every week or whatever, I could be in a different place. Or if I just, but to me, like that's what I find fun and like cool about the thing is that I get to explore different sides of me and everything brings out something different, you know? That's amazing. And I feel like that's the secret to it all, especially as um, someone telling you to just focus on one thing. Yeah, that sounds great. If that one thing is at all certain, which none of these things are. None of these (laughs) things. That's also the scary thing is like, you know, I think the appeal and the attractiveness of a career like law or, or being a doctor is like, okay, you go four years to, to undergrad, you go to pre-med, you get a residency, you're a doctor. Or yeah. you pass your boards, you're a doctor. You go to law, you know, four years undergrad, three years law school, pass the bar, you're a lawyer. Comedy, <laughs> you post, you could be working at a gas station, you post one funny video. Yeah whatever or you post funny videos or you have a podcast that does well or you are doing stand-up and that's the scary thing and that's why it also doesn't feel right to like because like i don't know what's gonna stick to the wall like i don't know what's gonna hit like i feel like it's like all of it right like Mm. you know you i don't like if i knew if somebody was like millie this is what's gonna get you to where you want to be this thing right here 
then yeah, that's a different story. I would probably maybe focus, but like it's ever, uh, you know, it's just like you don't know what the, the thing is that's gonna hit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the most viral video I've ever been in was the one where I talked about androids for like an hour. <laughs> I mean, not an hour for a t- for a minute. I talked about how I love my Android phone, and that has uh. like one point three million likes. <laughs> Cool. Like, yeah. but then all those people are like, "Oh my god, she's so funny." Then they go on my page. Oh, she does this. She does that. She does yeah, this. Yeah. She does that. Oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah. someone's, you know, people come in. How do? How come she doesn't have her own TV show or this? And then it's like, oh, she is a comedian. Like, the, you know what I mean? So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of have to have other shit popping off on your page so that people know that you know whatever. Yeah, but I think what's great is that you're genuinely being. You're you're bringing your excitement and you're being you in all these things. None of these mm-hmm. things seem like oh, my manager told me I need to I need to make viral standards, so I'm doing that this week. <laughs> and you're just kind of reluctantly <laughs> doing this. You are bringing your true self to all these projects, and I think that's what's great. Yeah, and that's the kind of the tough thing too with like standup is like everyone's like you and I clips do well and all this stuff, but I'm like I don't know. Like this is probably not great, but I'm like. I don't know. I want to retire jokes like when I want to retire them. And like, I'm also not performing like I'm performing a few times a month. Like, I don't want to blow my entire load <laughs> on on these like one minute clips so I could get 300. Li- you know, I don't know. Yeah. That's why everyone posts crowd work shit. And it's like, no one's funny. It's like <laughs> You can't fucking win. Well, I guess the last big question, and I'm interested in how this will pan out, is uh, is what's your relationship to that first craft that you in, that you were interested in? You said that that was like dancing and baton twirling. Like, what is your relationship <laughs> to that now? And and what's your relationship to the Millie that was doing that at the time? You know, sometimes I feel like I'm overly confident. I mean, I am confident, but sometimes I'm like, there's a little Don Quixote de Lulu thing going on here where it's like. No, Millie, you can, but I'll watch the video. I'm like, I can do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's like really pulled me through a lot of things because, you know, that's what got me on a motorcycle in Colombia. Like, where I'm like, I can do this. I can do that. I can surf. I can, and it's just like, I really can't. Like, <laughs> but whatever. That's like the delusional thing, but that's like what push, pushes me. So when I watch and enjoy, it's like I have a joy for it, but I don't pursue it, whatever. But I'll still watch some videos and be like, Man, I can do this. It's like I really should take a class. <laughs> I took a I took a hip hop class earlier. Like my my friend's little sister taught a hip hop class, and she's like actually a hip hop dancer. And I went to Mark Morris, which is in downtown Brooklyn. It's really cool. It's just kind of sucks. Like comedy is like I feel like I'm just grinding so much, and I'm just trying to like. I never have anything stable or consistent. And like, because of that, I haven't been able to really explore as many like fun, artistic things as I'd like. Cause I'm like, Oh, if I wasn't worried about how I'm going to pay my rent this month and all this stuff. And I had a consistent work, like I would actually, cause it was really cool going to Mark Morris and seeing like adults taking ballet for the first time yeah. or like an African dance class or this or jazz. Or this. So I took a, so I took a, a hip hop class this year um, when my friend's little sister taught it and it was really, fu- it was really hard. <laughs> it was a really hard class, but also like, you know, you perform in front of people and then there's people who are doing it for the first time and just like, yeah, like, I don't know. There's that, like that fun thing, which 
I have a good friend, or you know, and she's also like Buddhist too, and she's a celebrity makeup artist. She does like makeup for Idris Elba. You know, they call it mm-hmm. grooming with men, but like <laughs> Idris Elba, El Kuje, Uzo, Mindy, like all these like amazing celebrities of color. And I will, I'll meet with her every few years and we'll like hang out for a few hours and she'll just talk and give me such, just such wonderful life advice about like the industry and stuff. But she told me like, you know, when your passion becomes your job and that's how you make money, you always need to have another creative passion that you're doing just for fun. My relationship with dance is like, I, I'm really waiting for the day that I don't have to worry about so that I can like have more fun in exploring these artistic things. Cause I do think that generates, and it's also like fun to do something that just, just because not because you're trying to be seen or network after or yeah, this yeah. and that or clip or that, you know, it's because it's actually just a selfish joy thing. So nice. It's good to have to like get to a point where you can afford having some routine in your life. Like, Oh, this is my dance day. <laughs> I would fucking love that. I can't wait. But like, uh, um, I don't know if you listen to Who Weekly. It's a C and D list celebrity podcast, like gossip podcast. Uh-huh. So it shows like gossip about like C and D celebrities. <laughs> it's just really funny because it's a lot of like bad sponsored content and uh-huh. like weird parties sponsored by WikiFeet um, <laughs> or Feet Finder. I guess Brie Larson is a little bit a kind of a list or B list or something, Mm. but she's, (laughs) but Brie Larson, like she's just like, I'm into ballet now. And like six days a week for several hours a day for seven months, she took (laughs) and had this huge recital and all this stuff. And like, you know, because Brie Larson is that person who goes on really 100% hard on everything. And, like, that's kind mm. of her, like, character bit, you know? I mean, you know, whatever. But it's like, yeah, like, that is an insane privilege. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to go all in on this hobby. It's like, I would love to get to a place where I had a day <laughs> to do a week. And I'm not just fighting for my f***ing life. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, <laughs> Millie. Yeah. And uh, everyone should check out uh, your new podcast, Go Touch Some Grass, I believe it's called. Go Touch Grass. Yes, touch it's grass. on HeadGum. New episodes every Wednesday. And if you love that, follow us on Patreon. Big thanks to Millie Tamaras for joining the show. Keep up to date with her at MillieTamaras.com. Freddie Nunez created and sings the You Are the Genre theme song, and Adam Smith produced it. Comedian and writer James III joins me next episode. And if you become a paid subscriber to my newsletter, you can listen a week ahead of the normies. This is Tim Barnes signing off with your weekly reminder that you are the genre. First I got your voicemail, then I got you. But we can meet in person or maybe on Zoom. So tell me what your genre, tell me what do you do? I'd like to know the thing. That specifically made